Generating traffic and sales can be a challenge for online merchants. But selling on the Walmart marketplace puts your products in front of millions of customers who shop on walmart.com. And right now, sellers who join Walmart Marketplace can save up to 50% on referral and fulfillment fees for the first 90 days. So get started today. Head over to marketplace.walmart.com savings. That's marketplace.walmart.com savings. Welcome to E-Commerce Conversations, a podcast by Practical E-Commerce. I'm Kerry Murdoch with Practical E-Commerce. The rise of Amazon has prompted some observers to suggest independent e-commerce merchants are threatened. My guest today, Miva CEO Rick Wilson, disagrees. He says independent e-commerce is thriving, and his new book, Dragon Proof E-Commerce, offers a roadmap for continued growth. Well, Rick, thank you for your time today. Kerry, always a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for having me. Looking forward to visiting with you, Rick, about the state of e-commerce generally and specifically about your new book, which is an interesting book. I've read it, Dragon Proof E-Commerce, Helpful Guide to Merchants on Succeeding in E-Commerce in 2019. Before we get into the book, what is the state of independent e-commerce right now? I actually think the state of independent e-commerce is thriving. You know, I've been out doing speeches that are kind of, uh, I I wouldn't go so far as to call them a stump speech, but I've got like a 20 to 30 minute talk that I give that's around this topic. And I have a slide that I show. It shows Amazon's percentage of e-commerce and retail. And what it shows that I find really interesting is that E-commerce as a percentage of retail is growing at the same rate as Amazon. So what what that means is the gap between those two numbers is all of the independent e-commerce. And so it's actually thriving. The media, um, and I don't mean like practical e-commerce, I mean like the big media, you know, CNBC and whatnot. They like to, you know, everyone likes the the winner-loser story, right? So they like to position Amazon as this Goliath that's going to kill everybody. And, and, And this is what I get into in the book. And this was kind of the impetus of writing the book is, Throughout all history, there has always been a Goliath, right? There's always been a dragon. And right now it happens to be Amazon. It wasn't that long ago. You know, if you're, if you're at least 40 years of age, it wasn't that long ago that people were writing about Walmart destroying communities. And then the irony, and this is even a little beyond my age group, it wasn't that long ago that Sears was the dragon, right? A hundred years ago, and this was, this was actually the stat I read that made me want to write this book. A hundred years ago, Sears and Roebuck sold more retail as a percentage of gross domestic product in the United States than Amazon does today. Wow. So what that tells you is that Sears was the biggest dragon of those three dragons, right? Mm-hmm. And, and everyone's always feared that the dragon's going to kill them. And I, I think the better way to look at this is there's always a dragon. 100% of the time, there is always a dragon. So you want to build your business. You know, If you're an independent e-commerce seller in this particular use case, just know that that's like you know that's the weather pattern, and how do you how do you how do you use that knowledge to thrive, and and how do you use that knowledge to protect yourself? There are certainly types of businesses that we've seen over the years get harmed by the rise of Amazon, but those things were usually in conjunction with also like Google algorithm changes. You know, there'd be confluences of events that took some early e-commerce sellers 
out of a winning position. But on the whole, independent e-commerce is, is growing quickly. The book lists necessities, if I could use that word, or requirements from your perspective for a merchant to thrive with e-commerce has gotten relatively more sophisticated. Amazon has certainly impacted every e-commerce across the board. And you list these necessities. What are they in summary? What are what are the key requirements for independent success and independent e-commerce now? I, I think there's a number of things. I think having really great product discovery experiences is one of the one of the single best things you can do as an independent e-commerce seller. And you know, when I'm out talking about Amazon, and I shop on Amazon a lot. I, you know, the one thing I can't stress enough about this book is I am not anti-Amazon. I just try to have a realistic perspective of who they are. So when I was a kid, I would go to, you know, <laughs> you can't really do this these days. You'd probably get arrested. But my mom used to take us to the mall and then let us go run off wild for a couple hours. And then <laughs> up somewhere. You're not allowed to do those things anymore. But what you do as a kid is you'd go play some video games, you get some ice cream. And then you'd go look at windows. You didn't have any money. So you'd go window shopping, right? And that was how you sort of curated this desire, right? You'd find products you wanted and dreamt of. You know, in that classic Christmas movie, A Christmas Story, he's standing in front of that window and he sees the Red Rider BB gun, right? That's product discovery. You don't get that. You, don't, you know, and Amazon will continually try to refine this, but Amazon has an inherent conflict in their business model, which is two things. One is when you go to Amazon, the first thing they, they, the two things they always recommend to you are an Alexa and the thing you just bought from them the day before. Mm -hmm. So their recommendation engine, engine is uh, it's got so it's almost like big data on it's it's almost like big data got too big, right? So they they go to the other side and they they've done things like Woot and Prime Day and and their flash deals and they're constantly trying to come up with ways to solve their product discovery problem. What I would say is this, they have 500 million SKUs right now, and by definition, curating that into great product discovery is, I would say, close to mathematically impossible. So, so to answer your question, I think the main necessity, if you're an independent e-commerce seller, is great product discovery. Yeah. What is product discovery? So like, uh, here's a good example. So a client of ours that, that we're really proud of, Borsheim's, right? So Borsheim's is a subsidiary of Berkshire Hathaway. You know, obviously, he's his own kind of dragon. And Clever Man has his annual uh, shareholders meeting in Omaha. And he knew he had all these very successful, wealthy people coming to Omaha every year. So he bought a jewelry store and makes them walk through his jewelry store to get to the shareholder meeting. And they all go spend a fortune there. And, and it's this huge three-story, 100,000-square-foot location. But they wanted to expand online. And one of the things they do that's really clever is they have an engagement ring builder. And so you can go and it, and it has their live inventory of diamonds and you can go customize an engagement ring. You can get far more. Um, you can see every possible version of the engagement ring before you choose it. Now you're missing out on the visceral in-store experience, but what you're absolutely seeing is way more potential options that you could even see in-store. And more importantly than that, not that Amazon's technically incapable of building an, an engagement ring builder, but, that just doesn't seem like the kind of tactical battle they're going to take on. We see, for example, a, a customer that, that we're really proud of, Plant Therapy. Plant Therapy, you know, I'm fascinated by them because they, they, they are, they're growing gangbusters. And they're, they're kind of selling what I would call a commodity product, but they've built a brand around it. So they're selling essential oils. Right? And essential oils, in theory, are all the same. 
at least chemically. And what they've done is they've built a Facebook community around the health benefits of essential oils. And then they're able to leverage that community where people are trading ideas back to their own private website. And they sell on Amazon. I think they sell close to half their sales on Amazon. I don't, I don't know their numbers specifically. So, so that's just a guess. But, um, but they're able to really cultivate, cultivate brand loyalty for what I would argue is a pretty standard product. You know, no different than I would get if I went to a Whole Foods or a, or, um, you know, a farmer's market. And then they're able to use their website to do, you know, an oil of the month club or, you know, you can do it by health, by health benefit type. And those are product discoveries that, again, they're not technologically out of the reach of Amazon, but they're able to do new and interesting experiences or getting away from even some Neva examples. There's been a rise in these subscription box companies, right? And some of those are probably a little overplayed because of venture capital, but but they're, they're a type of product discovery that I think is great. You know, if you have a really good one, if you're getting good stuff in that box every month, you'll keep getting that box. And so there's one out there that they're not a Miva client at all. I just happen to know them from being a past customer called Sketchbox. It does art supplies every month. And, you know, and that kind of stuff is a really great way to explore getting new products. We have one that that I think is impressive. They let you build a swimming pool online. So, so, so those are the kind of things. Those are the kind of things that I I talk about that are defensible in a dragon world. Great point. So, what are some others? Product discovery, first necessity. What are some others? If an entrepreneur walks into walks into your office there and wants to start a business, what else are you going to tell him? You know, most of the clients we're speaking to today are are established businesses at some level, but I think in the broader scope, what I would say is the product discovery and bespoke shopping experience. So a shopping experience that's customized around the unique value proposition of your product, right? So that would be one of the first ones. One of the second ones I would say are product builders, right? So we're just talking about the engagement ring builder. Santa Cruz Skateboards has got a great one. Go customize your skateboard. They have 17 different brands. that They all roll into one builder and you can get a totally custom builder. I talk about this in the book a little bit with going to the bicycle shop when I was a kid and building my bike. You can do that stuff online now in ways that that is far more available and usable than was even in the, in the analog age. I think beyond that, on the business-to-business or business-to-dealer side, you can really get into streamlining your operations, right? If you have an opportunity to reduce friction in your sales process, you know, what happens a lot is sometimes people think, oh, I'm a business to business company and they don't want to go direct to consumer where they don't get that their direct to consumer may only end up being five or 10% of their sales, but it might be 50% of their profit because there's so much more margin. Or the reverse can also be true that they're a direct to consumer brand and they start getting dealer inquiries and if they optimize that purchasing flow for dealers, they can create, you know, kind of a version of the flywheel that causes them to be more, have more margin, which causes them to be more efficient, which helps them stay competitive in this economy. And I think with the rise of the millennial into corporate America, people are no longer looking to accept what I would call kind of out on the business to business side, outdated sales processes. They don't want to have to call someone. They don't want to fax anything. They don't want to even email a form. They want to be able to go online and they expect to have a shopping experience online that's as good as they would have if they were shopping for clothes for themselves. Now, the examples you cited on your customers and then with product discovery, that seems to imply customizable products are the key. You didn't mention commodity items. 
Customizable products are important. Commodity items, I think, are okay as long as you can build a brand around them. I mean, that's the that's where I think plant therapy has done a great job. You know, if you can build the idea of a community that's rallied around your commodity, then that works. And customizable products are another great one. You know, um, the ability to everything from you know print your own logo on stuff or customize. You know, think about going to Vans. You know, if you're a kid from Southern California like I was. I'm wearing some Vans right now. You can go to Vans' website right now and you can customize Vans ad nauseum and get them made for you. Those kind of things are, are really great differentiators right now. Can you tell if Amazon has affected your business, Miba? You know, it's funny because uh, I don't really normally think of it that way. But I think on the whole, Amazon has probably been a net positive for Miva. I mean, obviously for e-commerce, you know, they... They were the first one to build trust in e-commerce. You know, one of one of the anecdotes I often tell is, to this day, if I'm ordering from people, and, and it's important that you you know you you make sure you build trust with your customers. That's especially if you have like a commodity product. That's part of building the brand. If your brand has trust, you could you can take it farther. And so there's only two companies that I order from online that I don't take a note in my phone to make sure I get the product. One is Amazon, and the other is Apple. Everyone else, I have a little to-do list app. When I order something, I just write it down in there. And then when it arrives, I mark it as arrived. So Amazon's done a great job of building trust in e-commerce. They've made people comfortable with e-commerce. And then from a selling standpoint, you know, there's, I think, 2 million independent sellers on Amazon. And so that's been a learning ground, I think, for a lot of sellers to realize that there's a bigger market. And, and the thing I would tell anyone who's an Amazon seller is this. If you can sell with margin on Amazon, if you can successfully sell with margin on Amazon, then you're you're not leveraging your business properly if you don't also start selling directly and independently, right? Because yeah, you, you know Amazon's got strict rules about uh, customer data harvesting and whatnot, but put a warranty card in there, give someone a, a free gift for filling out the warranty card, get them to come to your website, give them an email address. And as opposed to giving Amazon, say, 50% of the money for delivering you a client and filling, if you do it directly from your own website, total cost of maintaining your own website plus shipping the product is going to be you know, more like 10 to 15%. Now, granted, some of that other 35 40% in margin is going to go to advertising and marketing, but not all of it. And so I, I argue that, and this is one of the things I would argue also for an independent seller, if you're not selling on Amazon... Make sure you have enough margin and then sell on Amazon. You, know, you should be doing both. You mentioned mid-market companies. You gave us some examples. Orshimes was one. The plant store was another. Talk a little bit about that. Miva customers, mid-market customers that are particularly innovative, that are thriving in e-commerce. They've gotten past the entrepreneurial stage now, and they're thriving. Can you cite couple examples our listeners of course are e-commerce merchants sure the people we see doing the best are generally doing a combination of direct to consumer and then dealer or business to business that's about half of our customers about 40% of our customers are just direct to consumer and then about 10% are pure business to business but i think you know what you see today is wanting to leverage both channels is part of an omni-channel strategy these days and you know from our customers, you know, there's so many examples. And, and at this point, a lot of these are, you know, people I've just known for a long time. Lotus Sculpture is one that I'm really a, a fan of. He's kind of on the smaller end of the mid-market. But, you know, any, I define mid-market as anyone's doing more than a million in online sales. Um, and then probably up to 
know, 100 million, right? So, and all that from a government perspective is still considered small and medium sized business. What is Lotus Sculpture? Tell us, talk to us about that, that particular he, he imports He imports artisanal, custom made Buddhas and statues, and, and, and not all Buddhas, but Buddhas and, and other essentially Asian relics. And they're not manufactured. I mean, they are manufactured by somebody, but he, he goes, you know, like the Jay Peterman catalog, he goes to India and travels around in Kathmandu and he, he, he works with true artisans and then imports the stuff. And so you're able to get a unique, you know, talk about product discovery. He literally goes into this physical product discovery that it would not be available to your average consumer. And then he's able to display them on his website in a really compelling way. And he's kind of like the perfect lifestyle business. He's got this great business, but it's, you know, it's like three people. And, and he was just telling me he redesigned his website earlier this year and sales are up 40%. So it's customers like that that I love. But then on the other end, you get you know, plant therapy that we talked about earlier, Borsheim's. Um, there's one. Um, oh, the paper store is another one that I think is fantastic. So the paperstore.com, they are the largest network of Hallmark stores and mostly in the Northeast, but they've sort of, their Hallmark is a franchises. So they have, I want to say about a hundred locations at this point, but their online business is, you know, one of their real thriving locations. And they've really focused on product discovery. What's impressive to me is they are selling almost the exact same stuff you could buy on Amazon. They're able to do product discovery around everything from holidays, right? So if you're there, if you're shopping there around Easter, you're going to see a very different product discovery selection than you are, say, around 4th of July. They do a lot about buy online, pick up in store. They have local community presence. So they know that someone might want to order something on their phone because they're on their way to, say, a birthday party or a wedding shower or a baby shower. Then they're going to swing by and pick it up and go deliver it. So they're really optimizing that experience. And what I think, you know, the, the bigger story that I like to say is there's not a specific tip and trick. It's this entrepreneurial spirit. You know, once you get that Amazon or whoever the next dragon is, isn't going away, just study them and then decide what's the thing you don't think they're going to do well and do that well. Rick, we have reported here on a movement of digital native e-commerce companies moving into bricks and mortar locations. It's kind of a small movement as we understand it right now, but it seems to be gaining steam. Do you see that accelerating? You know, I from, from a data perspective, where I said I don't necessarily see it accelerating from our customer base, but do I think it's going to accelerate? Like, is my opinion that's going to accelerate? Yeah, I think, I think either one of those options, either being a pure brick and mortar retailer or a pure e commerce retailer, they they kind of ignore the bigger picture. And the bigger picture is there are multiple channels under which you want to sell. Right. So if Amazon represents 50% of e-commerce sales in North America, and if you can do it with, with profit, then not including your sales on Amazon means you're going to miss some shoppers. And, and part of that is that 50% of all e-commerce product searches start on Amazon. So if you're not, it's almost like an SEO play. If you're not there, that's not going to work. And then, you know, Google, I think is 35 or 40% of e-commerce product searches. But then think about all the product searches that happen organically. I'm going to be driving home today and I'm going to probably stop and put some gas in my car and I might go inside and uh, buy myself a drink or something to eat or I might go to a mall. You know, product discovery is a multi-channel endeavor by its very nature. And so I, I think that fad will likely continue. I think we're 
I think we are at the early days of seeing those experiments. You know, Bonobos is obviously one that's doing a lot of it. There's this idea of pop-up stores within bigger stores. I don't know that any one of those ideas are far enough along right now that I would encourage a true small entrepreneur who's bootstrapping their way to profitability to to run down that path unless they know they can make it profitable. But do I think that trend will continue? Yeah, I do. Change directions just for a sec. You have a unique perspective there as the CEO of a of a leading e-commerce platform, Miva. I'd like to ask you a question about another question about Amazon in this respect. Many observers, as we understand it, believe the storm clouds are are kind of growing for Amazon from an antitrust standpoint, and that in industrialized countries, especially, Amazon may be forced at some point to choose whether it wants to sell its own products or whether it wants to be a marketplace, but not both. It's our understanding that India already has something similar to that, which which is more prohibitive to running a marketplace and selling your own products on that marketplace. The EU, you may have read, has just opened an investigation on Amazon on that very topic. And the congressional hearings that happened a couple of years uh, weeks ago or a few weeks ago here in the U.S., more than one U.S. congressperson asked that question. Do you have any thoughts on that, one way or the other, in terms of antitrust issues for Amazon? I do. I think I, I think a number of things. I think that you know Amazon isn't alone in some of these big tech companies in trying to have it both ways. And and history suggests history suggests you can't have things both ways. I believe there was a, I believe it's Pennsylvania, and I believe it was the Attorney General of Pennsylvania, but I'm doing this out of memory. So if I'm wrong, I'm close enough, and there'll be articles that explain the details. But there's a state currently pursuing Amazon or suing Amazon over violating its consumer protection laws because Amazon essentially is claiming, hey, we're not actually the retailer, we're simply the marketplace. And I think they're going to have a hard time with that. You know, there's the old adage of if it looks like a rose and smells like a rose, it's a rose. And, and I don't know that Amazon, uh, at least in the United States, is going to be able to claim indefinitely that they're not just as liable for the retail experience as any other retailer. You know, they are not a giant swap meet. They are much more like a giant Walmart than they are a giant swap meet. And then I also think just, you know, there's a sense right now, not just with Amazon, but with what they're known as is the fang monopolies, you know, Facebook and Apple and Amazon and Google, that mm-hmm. there's just this sense that. Their network effects have grown so large that there's a there's a drumbeat of antitrust. And I don't know where that goes, but a little bit like what we've seen with GDPR, if Europe decides to lead that charge, it's going to be hard for them not to also make changes in the U.S. And it, you know, it may provide the political cover in the U.S. for something like that to happen. Amazon has historically focused on if they keep their prices low and they're not violating U.S. antitrust laws because... U.S. antitrust laws kind of evolved over the last 30 years to really focus on consumer benefit. If a consumer is getting a cheaper price, then no harm, no foul. And that tide may also be changing. Uh, I think there's starting to be people perceiving that, that there are bigger issues to play than just the price of the product. We have just another minute or two left today, Rick. Anything else on your mind? You know, I guess I would kind of reiterate what I said at the beginning. Amazon's both a threat but also a catalyst to success. And if you're out there and you're, co- and you're either in the world of e-commerce 
you're contemplating getting the world of e-commerce. Independent e-commerce is growing at the same rate as Amazon is, at least right now. You know, we're still in the early adopter curve. There's about 13% of retail sales in North America that are done online. Uh, and if you look at a traditional early adopter curve, that's where we are. And, and so there is a, this market will evolve and continue to evolve at a kind of breakneck pace until, you know, I would say 50 plus percent of retail is, is either online or a mixture of online pickup and store. My big message is don't let Amazon scare you out of the game. It's still the greatest opportunity there is. Well, your book is a terrific read, Dragon Proof E-Commerce. Where can listeners buy that book? So ironically, you can buy it on Amazon, but I would suggest they go to dragonproofbook.com. It's a little cheaper there. The other thing they can do at dragonproofbook.com is sign up to be notified of a podcast we're starting where I'll be talking to merchants about how they're dragon-proofing their business. So, and those will be free, great content, uh, and they can get a copy of the book if they like as well. Okay. Well, I've been visiting with Rick Wilson. Rick is the CEO of Miva, the leading e-commerce platform, Miva. It's at Miva.com. We've discussed the state of independent e-commerce, and we've discussed Rick's new book, Dragon Proof E-Commerce. And Rick Wilson. As always, I want to thank you for your time today, sir. Kerry, I appreciate your time as well, and I look forward to the next time we chat. Thank you.